morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here. Jeff, it's good to see you. It's been a couple months, it seems like. Well, go ahead and uh, open in your Bible, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And in your bulletin, you should have a handout there that has the outline and uh, some blanks to fill in, some spots to take notes and whatnot. And uh, um, I can tell who's filling that out while I'm preaching because their head is down, they're diligently writing, right? That's different than the person whose head is down, you know, on their phone. But I, I know your Bible's on your phone nowadays, so... I mean, I don't totally judge you. <laughs> Sometimes I read my Bible on my phone too, but it's just hard to tell from here what you're doing, you know. But if you're writing diligently in your notes, then I'm right there with you. All right, so go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 13, and let's, uh, let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we come to you this morning and, uh, and confess that you are God, and we rejoice that you are sovereign, that you are our creator, and uh, that you... Um, are building a kingdom that's not made with hands, and you will continue to do so. And uh, we have the, the privilege and the joy of being a part of the kingdom of God. And This morning as we talk about that, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to value the kingdom the way Jesus valued the kingdom. I pray that you would help us to seek for it the way he says we should do. Lord, I pray that, uh, that your kingdom would be uh, important in our minds. As we come here and look at your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts. I pray that, that you would um, communicate from your word to us exactly what you would have us know. I pray that you, by your spirit, would work in our hearts, that we would be able to receive it and respond to it. And not, not just that we would sense your leading, but that we would respond to your leading and, and uh, to what your word says. Lord, speak truth to us about the kingdom of God this morning. We, uh, we look to you and we trust in you and we turn to your word now to hear what you have to say to us. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about gospel essentials and we've talked about various aspects of, of the gospel and uh, different things, focusing specifically on Jesus' teaching, things that, that occur again and again throughout Jesus' teaching that seemed obviously to be important to him and to the writers of the gospels and therefore should be important to us. And so um, that's kind of been how we've, how we've chosen those topics, what we're going to talk about for this last few weeks and for uh, a few more weeks now. And so we come to this topic of the kingdom of God, and we see when you read through the Gospels that this was an important topic for Jesus himself. And uh, actually, when you read the Gospels, you see that at the start of Jesus' ministry, right off of the bat, this was an important part of his message. For example, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says this. This is chapter 1 of Mark. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the kingdom, or excuse me, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so right off the bat, that's how he started his message. And that's, that's the message he was carrying to the people there. That's what he wanted people to know was about the kingdom of God. And in all, when you read the gospels, you'll find that phrase, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, which is uh, pretty much a synonym there. Um, you'll find it about a hundred times in the gospels. Something that Jesus says a hundred times is pretty important. 
And so we wanted to spend some time focusing on that, focusing on the kingdom of God. It's important for him. We want it to be important for us as well. All right. So first of all, before we dive in, we're going to give a definition. What is the kingdom of God? Well, we were talking in our uh, high school Sunday school class this morning. We went through the book of Daniel. And so, by the way, just as, as an aside, if you have any questions about end times, this entire front row right here can tell you whatever answers you want to know because we covered Daniel this morning. And uh, so just go ahead and ask them. I dare you. And uh, I look forward to hearing what their answers are. Let's define the kingdom of God. I say that because Daniel, all the way back in the Old Testament, he's talking about the kingdom, right? And he has this vision and it's a vision of this stone that was not not cut out by hands, not hewn with hands. And it, and it grows and it grows so large, it, be, large, it becomes like a mountain and it ends up rolling over these other creatures, these other kingdoms. And that's, that's the kingdom of God. And so all the way back in Daniel's time, you had him talking about the kingdom of God. So what is it? What exactly is the kingdom of God? Well, I'm going to give you a definition and it's, it's a little bit difficult to narrow down a, a, a fine pointed definition, but here's, here's the definition we're going to work with today. All right. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. Relatively simple, right? It's the reign and rule of God and the sphere in which that is experienced. That is the kingdom of God. It's partial in the present and it will be ultimate in the future. Right? So that's what we're talking about, the kingdom of God. It's not equal with the church. It's not the same as the church, right? And, uh, and it's only partial right now. We're going to see that, that, it's, that it's here in certain ways now, but in the future it will ultimately arrive and the kingdom of God will be fully experienced. But the definition we're working with, this would be a good thing to write down, will help you later on as you're reviewing your notes, as I'm sure you all do throughout the week, right? Go back and look at your notes that you took. And I hear one laughter out of that. It's because you're, all right, Chris does it. Chris is there. All right. The kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of God, and it's the sphere in which it's experienced. Okay. Wherever God reigns, wherever that reign is experienced, wherever he's ruling and where that rule is experienced is, uh, is the kingdom of God. And so obviously we can't spend our morning looking at the 100 or so references that Jesus makes to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the gospels. So we're going to zero in on uh, chapter 13 of Matthew, where he tells several parables to illustrate, to help us to understand some important truths about the kingdom of God. And as you glance here at uh, Matthew chapter 13, you can see kind of the order of the parables. And if you compare them to my notes, you'll see that I'm actually coming at them at, in reverse. I'm starting sort of towards the end of the chapter and I'm moving towards the front of the chapter. Right? I want to I build our understanding of, of what's going on in a different way than Jesus was doing here. And so the first one I want to look at is there in verses 31 and 32 of chapter 13. Uh, verses 31 and 30 is a very short parable. Some of Jesus' parables get really long, right, and kind of involved, and there are multiple characters and players, and st this one's very short, right? So look at verse 31. Again, Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So he tells this parable 
about what the kingdom of God is like. And he said it's like this little mustard seed, which is a tiny, tiny little seed. And I, I looked it up to look at pictures of it, and it really is. It's just a, smaller than a BB. It's a tiny, tiny little thing, tiny little seed. And then if you, if you look at the size of a plant that it becomes, it's, it's not really just a plant anymore. It's not a garden. It's like almost like a tree. It's this huge thing, right? And so Jesus is using that to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And so as we look at that and think about it, first, the first thing I want us to notice about it is that there is organic growth in the kingdom. There is organic growth in the kingdom. He's, he doesn't use the illustration of, of building this block on that block. It's certainly not the illustration of conquering, right? The kingdom of God is not acquired by, by conquering. He says, no, he says the kingdom of God grows organically. It's like taking a little seed and planting it out there in the field and it grows slowly over time. And it, and it, and it grows and produces that way as opposed to being built. The illustration he's using here is not one of building a house and putting this block on that block or something like that. He says, he says, no, it, it grows. It starts as a tiny little thing that gets gets buried, gets planted, and then it grows and begins to produce that way. It's, it's organic in its growth. And second, the second thing I want us to notice here is the exponential growth of the kingdom. He says this seed is a tiny little, he says actually it's the smallest seed. It's this little tiny, tiny seed, and you plant it in the ground, and it becomes not like a rose bush even, but like a really large plant that's larger than a garden plant it becomes so big that you can kind of refer to it as a tree it's so big that that birds could come and make nests in its branches that's how big it is it, it grows from a tiny tiny thing to something that's huge and of course uh he's he's using the parable of this mustard seed to explain to us what the truth of the kingdom of god is and so if we think about the kingdom of god we think about the organic growth of the kingdom and the exponential growth of the kingdom Right, if you if you look back and think about how the kingdom started, specifically with Jesus going to the cross and dying, right, and then being buried and then being raised again, how large was was that group of people? It was pretty small, and they didn't have a powerful platform, and they weren't well funded, right? Election season, we think about that kind of stuff, and election season starts in February apparently, but. Uh, it wasn't well-funded and they didn't have a large, you know, grassroots organization and social networking and all this kind of stuff. It was a very small little seed. And then it started to grow. And you think about all the persecution that the church has gone through. You think about what the people of God have had to face down through the centuries and what the people of God are facing now in large parts of the world. And the kingdom of God grows and it continues to grow. And it gets larger and it expands. There's organic growth and there is exponential growth. It's not limited by humble beginnings. It's not limited by the odds against its success. Right? There, you, don't, you don't really care what the, you know, what the polls say. That's not the point. The kingdom of God is going to grow. It's going to increase. It grows organically and it can increase at an amazing rate and to an incredible size. So we've looked at its organic growth, and we've looked at its exponential growth, but I want to turn to another passage and look at the beginning of growth. So keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 13 and flip to the right and go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're going to look at the beginning of growth. Verse 
it's organic, what's the seed? How does it start? Where does the, where does the life spring from? And I want to read about a conversation here that Jesus had with Nicodemus. So this is John chapter 3. This is very early on, obviously, chapter 3 of John, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Unless one's born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. The life starts at the new birth, the rebirth. And of course, Nicodemus is kind of confused by this, and he, he asks the question, well, how can that be? How can a grown man be born again? He can't go back into his mother's womb, can he? And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point here. And he starts talking about what it means to be born of the Spirit, born of the Spirit. And, and, and he says that's how one enters into the kingdom of God. That's, that's, how one, that's how the growth starts for an individual is when he is born again. You see, we, we're all born, of course, separated from God because of sin, because of the sin nature we inherited from our father, Adam, and because of the sins that we choose to do, that we flesh those things out in our lives, and we end up being separated from God. And so Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be reborn. You must be born again. That's the only way that we can be have that new life. The Bible talks about us being, being born, in a sense, spiritually dead. We're physically alive when we're born. But, but to God, we're, we're dead spiritually. And he says, you need to be reborn and have new spiritual life. And that happens at the very beginning uh, of, of, that's the beginning of the growth of the kingdom of God in your own life. The way Jesus says it in verse 8 of chapter 3 is that uh, he says it's when he's born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. That means God reached down and created new life where there was only deadness before. Thus, the person is born again. And so Nicodemus raises his objection. He asks how that can, that can be. And, and uh, Jesus uses another example from nature. And he says it's like the wind, right? It's like the wind. You can't, you can't even see the wind, really, but you can see and feel the effects of the wind. And you can't really say where, where it comes from or exactly where it's going. But you can tell when there's wind because you can feel it. Or maybe you can see the dust flying or the leaves, right? You can see the effects of it. And he says, it's like that when someone is born again, when someone's born of the Spirit. No, no one could really see it coming, right? You did, and, you, and you can't point and say, yeah, I just saw it. It's, it's different than that. It's, it's like a seed being planted. When does the seed start to grow? Well, I don't know. You start seeing 
stuff happened later on. And that's a little bit what it's like to be born into the kingdom, to be born again, to be born spiritually. You start to see changes in a person's life and you can't really point to it. That's the kingdom of God beginning to grow within a person. The kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, both on this earth and in your life, is a growing and a spreading thing. You first enter the kingdom when you are born again, and it will grow in you until he who began a good work in you will perfect it or bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So that's the first parable we looked at. Flip back to Matthew chapter 13. We looked at the mustard seed. And I said we're kind of going to work backwards through the paragraphs or, or through the chapter. We're going to go earlier and we're going to look at the next one, which is uh, the parable of the weeds. So we're going to look at weeds and counterfeits, weeds and counterfeits. All right. So let's let's go ahead and uh, and read here. Another parable that Jesus uses to try and help us understand the kingdom of God. So look, look at verse 24, parable of the weeds. He put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. He sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then if you go down a little bit in, uh, in verse 37, he gives the explanation of this parable, what it means. Look at verse 37 of Matthew 13. He says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire. So will it be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, Thinking about that parable, that gives us a little bit of a different picture. First of all, we have good seed. First of all, we have good seed. The Son of Man comes and he plants good wheat, right? He's, he's planting good seed and he expects from that to receive a good crop. But we also not only have good seed, we have bad seed, right? So after the man has planted, then, uh, and, and, he's, and he's gone away and he's no longer there, the enemy comes in and he plants weeds in all among the, uh, the good seed that he planted. So he, he plants bad seed. And that's the devil that's doing that. He's, he's coming in, right? The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who planted them is the devil himself. And so here you have a field that the owner of the field planted with good seed and he expects a good crop. And then the, the enemy comes in, plants with bad seed or weeds and, uh, and goes to mess it up. And so thus you have... You have not only good seed and bad seed, but you have both seeds and you have them growing together. 
both seeds growing together in the same spot, right? So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So the owner of the field expected a good crop, and when things start to grow, there are weeds everywhere. His field is completely infested with weeds. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And so his workers come to him, and they say, well, let, let's go out, and we can gather in all the weeds. We can weed the field, and that way there will only be the, the good crop left, and we'll take those weeds out, and we'll get rid of them. And he says, no. He says, let's don't do that. Let's don't gather them in right now. Let them grow. And when it comes time for the harvest... At that point, then we'll go in and then we will remove all the weeds and then we will have the wheat and we can harvest the wheat. He says, don't, don't try and tear them up right now lest you uproot, uh, lest you uproot the wheat. So it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting, interesting story there, right? That there's, there's a, a mixture of the sons of the kingdom or the children of the kingdom mixed in with the children of the evil one, right? And, uh, and so that's, that's a fascinating picture as you think about church, right? As you think about the kingdom of God, you try and identify what the kingdom of God is. And that's one of the reasons the kingdom of God does not equal the church because the kingdom of God is only the children of the kingdom is only the wheat. But, uh, in any, in any large congregation or gathering, official type gathering, uh, corporate gathering of the church, you're going to have those mixed in who are legitimate children of the kingdom and those who, who, who aren't. Those who don't really understand. Maybe they're self-deceived or maybe, maybe they come to church because it's a good social thing to do or, or, uh, or, or their friends go or whatever. But there's, there's some kind of a mixture that you have those who are children of the kingdom. You have those who are not. And they're mixed in together. And Jesus says, don't go in and start trying to tear out those who are not legitimate uh, children of the kingdom yet. Don't tear them out lest you cause other damage. But let them grow. Let them grow. And it'll become evident later on. And then later on, at the end of the age, is what he's talking about. Then he can separate them. And it, there are a lot of interesting things there for discipleship that, uh, that I thought about. You know, when, when someone becomes a brand new Christian, are they, uh, they're, they're obviously not a mature Christian. You know, children are born as babies, they're immature, and you have to change their diaper for them, right? And you should do that a lot, or it smells really bad, right? And so, as time goes on, obviously you don't have to do that. And as maturity happens, then, then you don't have to deal with those sorts of issues. And so when a person claims to be a brand new believer, it would be very easy to look at them and say, wait... Look, you, Christians don't do that. You, you must not be a true Christian, right? It, Christians don't act like that. And you, you did that thing. And so that obviously can't be you. You can't be a Christian, right? And, and Jesus says, boy, it is easy. It is easy to, for there to be confusion. It's easy for, uh, um, for us to get confused about that kind of situation and, and uproot legitimate wheat in our desire to root out the weeds. He wants them to grow together. Because he values that wheat so much that he doesn't want accidentally to uproot some wheat by pulling some weeds out. And so he's trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God here. And, and I think it's this. He says, for the time being, this is, this is my understanding of what he means by this parable. For the time being, the kingdom of God has some counterfeits. Right? We don't have a, we don't have a, you know, different colored hair when we become a Christian or, you know, something like that. You don't, you don't get a mark when you become a Christian that we can all look and observe, right? You don't really know. There, there, there can be counterfeits mixed in. And I don't, I don't even mean people who are trying to sneak in and act like a Christian for some nefarious reason. 
But it's just you have those who, who are born of the kingdom and you have those who are not. And you have them mixed in side by side. So uh, for the time being, the kingdom of God has some counterfeits mixed in with the genuine members of the kingdom. They're not always easy to tell apart and they can be incredibly intertwined. It's like weeds and wheat. Jesus tells us that there will always be some weeds, some counterfeits alongside the children of the kingdom right up until the close of the age. And when the kingdom of God is finally consummated in the end, then we will see. Then we will see the difference. And I think there are a lot of different applications uh, in there, but, but one of them that I want us to take away from that parable is the fact that when we talk about uh, joining the church, we talk about becoming a Christian, uh, who's to say uh, which political candidate is a genuine Christian and which is not? You kind of enter into a little bit of a guessing game there because I can't see the person's heart I see the things they say, and I see the things they do. And I can make a judgment for myself. But who am I to say, yes, you're in, no, you're out? I can't do that. It would be easier. You can look at the candidates and say, yes, he's in the political, this particular political party. Yes, he's a Republican. How do you know that? He joined the Republican Party. It's official. No big deal. You know that. Or the Democratic Party. Or whatever. He signed up for a group, right? His name is on the roster. You know for certain. There's no question. It's not so with the kingdom of God. It's not like a king, a kingdom of man. I, I'm a U.S. citizen. I can show my passport. I can show my birth certificate. I can explain all that and demonstrate to you. How can I show you my citizenship in the kingdom of God? Well, it's different. It's not like, it's not like the kingdom of men. It's not like the kingdom of men. And so, so it's a, it's a different kingdom that's shaped not with hands and shaped not with rules and shaped not with organizations, but it's a work that God himself is doing. We've got one more parable I want to look at, and this is all going to tie together as we look at the first parable in this chapter. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at this, the parable of the sower, and we're going to look at the sower and the responses. We're going to work our way through this one relatively quickly. Most of you probably are familiar with this parable. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 13, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. And then later on, so pause right there for a second in your reading. Later on in the chapter, he gives an explanation of what he means by each of these pieces of the parable. And so I want you to look down, keep one thumb there on, on verse 4 and look down at verse 18. And he's going to give an explanation of the parable. And we're going to read the, the parable itself and the explanation side by side uh, from the beginning to the end. So look at the explanation of this first seed that fell on the path and was eaten by the birds. So here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So he heard it. He didn't understand it. It just kind of stayed right there on the surface because he didn't really get it. He couldn't internalize it. And the evil one came along and snatched it up. And it was gone. The word was gone. The seed was gone. And so nothing grows, right? So that's the hard ground. That's the first part there, the hard ground. Now we're going to look at the rocky ground. Look back at the parable itself, verses 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. 
where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So it's in the, it's in the rocky ground, shallow soil that heats up very quickly when the sun comes up. And so germination happens very quickly. Growth starts, but it's so, such shallow soil that it dies very quickly in the heat of the day. And so look over the explanation, verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. That word's important, immediately. Immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So here you have this person who was excited to hear and started to respond. But as soon as any kind of opposition came up, they had no depth of soil, is what Jesus says. They couldn't take it, and they're out of there immediately. They immediately responded, and then as soon as any opposition comes, they immediately run away. So there's no growth, there's no fruit, there's no produce there. That's the rocky ground. Next is the thorny ground. Verse 7, other seed... Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Right? Fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked them out. And then uh, look at the explanation over here, verses 20, and, or excuse me, 22. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the result, again, is no fruit, no produce. No production. This is the person who receives the word, but then other things kind of come in and compete, become more important, whether it's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Other things come in and crowd out that growth of that seed. Other things become more important. And so you have the thorny ground results again in no fruit, no produce. And then finally, look at verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen to the explanation. Verse 23, And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and in another case sixty, and in another thirty. So finally we have some productivity. Finally we have some fruitfulness. And he says this is a... This is a description and explanation to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. What's the kingdom of God like? And he says, well, it's like this sower who goes out and he's got these, this seed, right? And he's sowing the seed and some falls here and he throws some there and some falls there. And in only one of those places do you see any kind of fruitfulness. We started our study by pointing out that the kingdom of God is pictured organically like a mustard seed that starts out tiny, tiny and grows huge. We also saw that the devil comes and he plants weeds and bad seed right alongside and in and around all the good seeds of the kingdom. And those who grow up and mingle with the wheat, they will grow up right up until the end of the age when the judgment will come, mixed in together. But this parable tells us that sometimes, even three out of four times maybe, that's just his estimate, that's not a percentage, but in three of the four cases, the seed doesn't even find a fruitful place to root. The seed is cast. It ends up with no produce. It doesn't find a place to root. Only in the final soil do we see the fruitfulness 
that the sower is looking to get. Of course, the guy went out to sow because he wanted to have a crop and he wanted to have a harvest in a few months. That's why he did it. And only in one of those four cases does he actually get a crop, right? And we, we see fruitfulness. We see produce in the guy's life. This is a person coming out of the image and into real life. This is a person who hears the message, understands the message, and bears all kinds of fruit in his life. This is the kind of soil that he was looking for. As the reign of God grows in your heart and in your life, and as you submit to the rule of God in your life, you begin to see it bear all kinds of fruit in your life. You have fruit of victory over sin, fruit of uh, usefulness in ministry, fruit of hope in Christ that takes you right through the storms and difficulties of life, fruit of love and joy and peace, fruit 30 times and 60 times and 100 times greater that he is producing in your life. That's only one kind of soil. There are three other kinds of soil. Maybe, maybe a person hears the word, maybe they hear the message of the gospel, but they don't understand. They just don't get it. They don't comprehend. And so the devil comes and he snatches away that message and it yields no fruit. And we don't want you to be that person. We don't want anyone in here or anyone who hears us to be that person who heard the message of the gospel proclaimed and doesn't understand it. If you don't understand, please ask one of us what we're going on and on about. Why did that guy talk so long about that stuff? Why is it so important? Ask somebody. We want you to understand about the gospel. We want you to understand about the kingdom of God. We want you to understand why it's crucial for you to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, that you can be made right with God. If the light hasn't gone on yet and you don't quite comprehend, you don't quite understand, you're still wondering what all the fuss is about, then that tells me that you don't quite get it yet. You don't quite understand. And so I would encourage you to go to a Christian friend and talk to them and ask them, come to me and ask me or any of the leaders of the church, talk to Woody, talk to Chris, talk to somebody and find out what the big deal is because there is a big deal. And we want you to understand what that is. We want you to understand what you're missing. But maybe a person hears the word and they immediately receive it with joy, but trouble comes because of the word, because of the word and they fall away immediately. There's an immediate response, but as soon as there's difficulty, they immediately run. We don't want you to be that person either. Troubles will come because of being a Christian. I want you to know that beforehand. I want you to know that now. I want that to be clear. We want you to know about those things. We want you to grow in your walk with the Lord so that when those difficult times come and they will, you will have root to stand. You will be built on a firm foundation and you will be solid in your faith so that the cares of the world, the difficulties, the challenges that have come on you because you're a Christian will not drive you away. Maybe a person hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches rise up and choke out the word so that it, uh, it proves to be unfruitful. Well, Jesus told two other parables about that right here in chapter 13. Look at verse 44. This is to be our response to the kingdom. Look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, right there in chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And then he tells another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant 
in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's to be our response to the kingdom. That's the value it is. That's how important it is. Jesus' message about the kingdom is go and chase after the kingdom of God with all that you have because it is the greatest treasure that exists. The greatest treasure. And Jesus talking about a similar thing. Flip back to Matthew chapter 6. This is the last place we'll read from. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talking about a similar thing. Talking about money specifically. Right? In the end of verse 24 there of Matthew chapter 6, he says, You cannot serve God and money. And then he, re- he tells us a very familiar passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You can't serve God and money, but seek his kingdom, and the Lord will provide these things for you. Seek his kingdom first. And that's our, that's our, our, our closing uh, message here is about seeking the kingdom of God. And this is what I want to do in my life. And I want my family to do. And this is what I want you to do is to seek the kingdom. So how do we seek the kingdom? Well, I made a, sh- a short list of six things, six things. And this is not a to do list that if you do these things, therefore you are seeking the kingdom of God, nor is this a, a complete list. These are just some ideas, right? Some, some areas to think about first, start your day in prayer, offer God your day and seek his will for your day. What might he have you do today? Simple way to seek the kingdom of God first. Wake up and pray. Second, read his word, the Bible. Study it. Memorize key passages from the Bible. Read it every day. Find out what he cares about. Find out about the kingdom of God in here and seek it. Thirdly, make big life decisions. We all make big life decisions from time to time. Make big life decisions with reference to what God would want you to do. He tells us those things again in his word. So spend time looking in his word and seeking his will in prayer before you make your big decision. Make big decisions with reference to God. Seek his kingdom first. Fourthly, make everyday decisions with reference to the kingdom of God. See what he wants you to do. Submit your finances to his authority. Submit your free time to his authority. Submit your relationships, your job. Submit your everyday decisions to his authority. Submit your kids and the way you parent them, your relationship with your spouse. Fifthly, make church attendance and participation a priority. That's a simple way to seek his kingdom first. In short, this is point number six. 
In short, give him the first and the last say in everything that you do. Give him the first say and give him the last say in everything that you do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So let's, as a church and individually as, uh, and as families, let's seek the Lord first and seek his kingdom first. Put him first and let him have the last say and see what he would do and see what kind of growth he would bring. I would love to see him at work in my life more fully yielding fruit. And I would love to see that here at Parkside too. And so let's do that together and let's seek the Lord together. And let's do that now in prayer. Lord, we come to you and, and thank you that you have told us about your kingdom. And you've told us about how to enter into your kingdom by faith in Christ. You've told us about how important it is. You've told us about how you cause that growth, the growth of the kingdom to happen in an organic kind of fashion. That uh, it's not something that we sign up for. It's not something that we join uh, like we join a, a club but it's a growth that you bring about in our lives by faith in you. Lord, thank you that you uh, work in this way. Lord, I pray that I would seek your kingdom first. I pray that I would seek your righteousness first and that I would see these other things added. I pray that I would seek after you, that we as a congregation would seek after you and seek after your kingdom first, that we would put you as our priority, that we would seek you first and we would give you the last say. Lord, I pray that you would bless us in these ways now. I pray that, uh, that, that we this afternoon would seek your kingdom first and tomorrow morning and all week and Friday night and Saturday night that we would seek your kingdom first and that we would see you at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and you're dismissed.